You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. In the book of James again this morning, this morning, Brother Andrew taught a lesson, and we're going through in, in Sunday school a series on marks of a healthy church, and, and the second thing we're talking about, the second topic that he's covering is expositional preaching. And so I was sitting there with my notes in front of me, hearing exactly how I'm supposed to preach, and thinking, I hope these people aren't listening too closely. <laughs> I wasn't thinking that, but, but it really was convicting to think, you know what, what we're doing here is pretty serious, and we need to make sure that what we're getting, what I'm doing, is trying to see what the Bible says, what James was saying to the readers back then, and what the Holy Spirit means for us to understand today. Because God's word was written in a context, but God's word is alive, and it's relevant for us today. And it's designed by God to teach us to know what we need to know to live this life the way he's planned for us to live it, a life for his glory. And so as we focus our attention on the 13th verse of James this morning, we will immediately notice that we are coming to the close of this great book. One thing unique about the book of James is that there seems to be a lack of conclusion. It kind of looks like James was sitting there, writing, got up to use the washroom, never came back. And he just just finished. When you read the book of James, from the start to the finished, the whole book is packed with imperatives teaching us what it means to live out our faith. In fact, if you were to summarize the message of James, he is writing to teach believers what a life of faith looks like. So if you wonder, okay, now I'm a believer in Christ, and now I I have this faith, what do I do? James gives you every answer you need. He teaches you what it looks like when a believer in Christ now lives like a believer in Christ, that they live out their faith. In 108 verses, there are nearly 60 commands given. That's evidence to that statement. This is what you do now, that you're saved. Throughout the book, we are provided with some of the marks of genuine faith. Well, we find that a faith is genuine if it endures trials. James even tells us that we can count trials as joy. We find that a faith is genuine if it prompts compassionate hearts. Hearts that desire to care for those who are suffering, who are struggling, who are orphans, who are widows, who are poor. Do you love those people? Do you care for those people? A faith is genuine if it produces good works. And if there are no works that go along with your faith, your faith is dead. That's what James chapter 2 teaches. A faith is genuine if it alters the way we speak. Our heart is evil. Our heart is wicked. And we're taught by Jesus that what comes out of our mouth, it starts in our heart. But our faith is genuine when we begin to produce Different words because our hearts have been changed by Christ. A faith is genuine if it humbles itself and relies fully upon God. As long as you think you can live the Christian life, you're in a lot of trouble. As long as you think that you can be moral, you'll never be moral. You'll never get it. You'll never overcome the temptation. You'll never overcome sin. As long as you're fighting in your own strength, you are destined for failure. But when we humble ourselves and we see our desperate need of God's help, and we ask for it over and over again, that's where victory comes. 
And faith is genuine if it humbles itself and relies fully upon God. Faith is genuine if it trusts that God's plans are best in every circumstance. Even in the hard ones. Even when someone's taking advantage of you. Genuine when we trust that God's plans are always best. This morning, we will see that a faith is genuine if it prays. We should have a praying faith. So I'm going to make a statement. I want you to think in your minds whether you agree or disagree with it. The statement is this. God answers prayer. Do you agree or do you disagree? God answers prayer. I think many of us can attest to the truth of that statement. We would say, yes, I've, I've seen in my life you pray and God's clear answer to that prayer, and many of us are still not convinced. In fact, I think what's funny is that there are some of us that might say, yes, God answers prayer. I can remember when I prayed this, and I remember him answering my prayer. And then we get into a situation today, and we pray, and we wonder, does God really hear me? And we're simultaneously saying, God answers prayer, but I'm just not sure he's going to hear this one. Just not sure he's going to answer this one. I can remember praying for a couple things very specifically as a teenager and having God answer that prayer. And I thought, man, God really does answer prayer. I'm never going to doubt that again. And it's funny how every single situation that I get in now, you still wonder. Is God going to answer? Okay, yeah, no, God hears my prayers, but will he actually answer? Does he actually care? Is Is this foolish? I don't know. I think we can agree to this statement. God does not always say yes. Does God answer prayer? Certainly, the Bible teaches that he does. But God doesn't always say yes. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India in the early 1900s, and she described the attempted healing of one of her co-workers. This woman named Ponamel was very dear to Amy. She worked alongside her for many years. And she contracted cancer. She, she had cancer in 1913. And Amy knew what James said in these verses. The prescription for calling elders of the church to anoint with oil and to pray over the person and, and the fellowship, but they weren't used to doing that. And she, she hadn't been doing, that wasn't a practice that they had. And so that they prayed a prayer. They said, God, if you want us to do this, then send somebody to us who is convinced that that's what we should do. And soon after, a man arrived, an old friend, and said, this is exactly what you need to do. You need to call her to the front. You need to have the elders pray over her, anoint her with oil. And James tells us that God will heal her. And Elizabeth Elliot wrote the biography of of Amy Carmichael, and, and she wrote this. It was a solemn meeting around the sickbed. The woman, dressed as usual, in her hand-loomed saris, but white ones for this occasion. They had laid palm branches across Ponamel's bed in a sign of victory and accepted whatever answer God might give, certain that whether it was to be physical healing or not, he would give victory and peace. It sounds like a simple formula. It was an act of faith. But certainly, accompanied by the anguish of doubt and desire, which had to be brought again and again under the authority of the master. From that very day, Ponamel grew worse. 
the pain increased. Her eyes grew dull as she lingered for days in misery until she reached her limit and her warfare was accomplished. And she died. So does God answer prayer? He did everything that they were supposed to do. And it would seem that he didn't. And honesty demands that if we are going to come to this text today, we come to it with the understanding that when Christians attempt to follow Scripture, we don't always get the answer that we want. Why is that? Why is that that two believers will pray for the same thing and God will answer one of their prayers and not the other? Why is it that we can do everything that the Bible tells us to do and, and sometimes not get the result that we hoped for? Well, hopefully we'll get to some of those answers in our text. James chapter 5, verse 13 to 18. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. James explains four different situations that believers find themselves in. And then he gives us an example of how God answered prayer. He addresses readers in four unique circumstances, but these circumstances are unique not in the fact that they don't occur very often, but they are unique in that they are different from one another. They are actually very common to us. If I was to ask this morning how many people are afflicted, I'm sure we would have some hands. How many people find themselves suffering? How many of you are merry? You're cheerful. You're joyful. Things are going well for you right now. How many people are sick? Struggling with your health. How many of you are battling sin and temptation in your life? I'm sure we'd get about every hand for that one. And we go through this list and we say, you know what? He's, he's actually addressing just about everybody in the room. And he's giving them instructions of what they ought to do. And so this morning, what I want to do is address the first two feelings or groups of people. What do you do when you're afflicted? What do you do when you're merry? And then next Sunday morning, we'll look at what you do when you're sick. And what do you do when you're battling sin in your life? And so, ask yourself this question. Are you suffering today? Are you going through a hard time? Are you in trouble? Is life not as easy as you wish it would be? Are your circumstances less than ideal? Do you have bills that you cannot pay? Have you lost your job? Have you, are you struggling in a relationship right now? Are you facing some persecution? Have you been falsely accused? Maybe you can't put your finger on it. You're just down. And that actually happens more often than you might expect. I don't know what it is right now, but I'm just 
I'm just not happy like I want to be. We know that we should pray. That's exactly what James says. The advice is clear and the advice is obvious, and it has to be true because there are so many Christian songs telling us to do it, right? Third day writes, There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, love for the broken heart. There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. How do I get that? Cry out to Jesus. Pray. Cry out to Jesus and all that's yours. Casting crowns wrote, I will praise you in this storm. I will lift my hands. You are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hands. You've never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. What do you do when you're struggling and going through difficulty, going through a storm? You praise him. You cry out to him. Mercy Me wrote, I know there will be days when this life brings me pain. But if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the rain. Actually calling out, asking for rain if it means that he'll praise. And those songs are good. They say true things. But I think oftentimes we relate better to those songs when we're imagining ourselves going through storms than when we actually are. Because when I was thinking about those songs this week, I thought, those are three songs of those three different groups that I really like. But I don't know that I've ever been in the middle of a storm and thought, oh, that's the song. That just does it for me. That's going to fix everything. Every single time I love those songs, I think, yes, that's true. If people will cry out to Jesus, then there is hope. If people will praise him in the storm, they'll see that God is who he is, and that he's on the throne, and that he has a plan, and all those things are true. And, and sometimes we realize that it actually takes God to bring trouble and suffering in our life for us to stop and, and think of things more than just what's in front of me today and, and learn to praise him and to think eternal thoughts. Right? Suffering is what causes us often to think about heaven. And so I know those things are true, but I always have a hard time going from the concept of those things being true to I'm actually living a nightmare right now. And that's the last thing I want to do. It's not how I feel. I don't, I don't want to pray right now. I'm struggling right now. I'm hurting right now. God has allowed this in my life and I don't like it. And I, I just want it to go away. It's not, not the time that I feel like praying. When Pastor Brandau addressed the morning family members and the friends at the, the vigil that was held for the Humboldt hockey team. I thought it was very good that he was honest. He said for the first 15 hours after the tragic bus accident, he said, all I saw was darkness. All I saw was hurt and anguish and fear and confusion, and I had nothing. Nothing. Now, there's a guy who's trained, who knows. He even said he's a pastor, he should have the answers, right? But you go through and you see that kind of suffering and tragedy, and for a while, it it just takes you back. You're blindsided by it, and all you see is the trial. All you see is the difficulty. Why? Because that's actually all that's in front of you. Like, when we're thinking about the trial we're going through, we're not deluded, 
When the Bible says we should pray and trust, it's caught, it, it requires us to go beyond what, what's in front of us right now. Because what we see and what makes sense to us is causing pain and suffering and trials. It's not making us think eternal thoughts. Sometimes that darkness gets a grip on us and it holds on. And we all know the right verses. We've all heard good advice from well-meaning believers. But when the darkness is all you see and all you feel, it's very difficult to remember the rest of Psalm chapter 23. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, you didn't walk through it. He led you there. We miss that. We're not just there by accident. He took us through the valley of shadow and death. And because he took us there, we can fear no evil because he is with us. And he's with us just as much there as he is when we're on the mountaintop praising. And so what should we do? It sounds so easy. It sounds so obvious. It's not easy. Sometimes it's the last thing you want to do. But you should pray. When affliction comes, understand it's not there by accident. It is our good shepherd that walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is powerful enough to keep you from the trial. Understand that? That you're in the trial because he put you there. He could have kept you from it. I mean, if you're willing to actually step out and say, God, deliver me from this trial, you have to see that he's got the power to keep you from it in the first place, so you're there for a reason. And maybe the reason, maybe he's not done with it yet. Maybe there's more to accomplish in the trial. Maybe the best thing for you is not just to deliver you from the circumstances. We've seen what happens when we protect our children from all difficulties in life. What happens when they get older? They're ready for nothing. They haven't matured at all because they don't realize that life is hard. And that you have to learn to deal with difficulties. And maybe God has put us there because that's the only way to mature our faith. Maybe he's really a good, loving father who wants to see his children grow. And that is the truth. Pain leads some people toward God. Sometimes you go through suffering, and it's the thing that drives you to God, and pain leads some people away from God. Some people hate God because of pain. I talked to a lady on the airplane a while back, and she was telling me she was an atheist, and I kind of asked some more questions about that, and eventually it came to the the fact that she just hates God. She's not an atheist. She just hates that God would allow the suffering that has come into her life. Because pain really does bring some people to him, and it really pushes some others away. And maybe today you're there. Maybe you are feeling either drawn toward God, or you're feeling kind of angry and pushed away from him. Brother or sister, whatever circumstance you're in, I would encourage you to do what James says, to pray. Be honest when you pray. Don't put on some kind of fake. God, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't understand why I'm here. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I've got nothing left. So pray. Do you remember Jesus in the garden? That's one of the most encouraging prayers in the whole Bible. Father, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through the trial. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know the torture. I know the pain. I know the the, the humbling that I'll go through. I know all of it. If it's possible, I'd like to, to not go through it. 
I don't want it. But not my will be done, but thine. And that, that can be our prayer. You're going through a trial. God, help me out. Get me out of this. Deliver me from it. But not my will be done, but thine. Do you know if you pray that prayer, I think that God will maybe not deliver you, but maybe he'll give you the strength that you need to get through the trial. That's all we can do. And the truth is, it's the best thing that we can do. It's to pray. So if you're afflicted, sounds obvious, pray. How about if you're married? What do we do if you're cheerful, if you're happy, if things are going well? Well, the command here is not specifically to sing a psalm, like one of the 150, but it's to sing praises to God. Again, James, this seems very obvious. When you're happy, what do you feel like doing? You sing, right? You hum a little tune. The word translated here, Mary, is found only one other place in the Bible. It's found in Acts chapter 27. And in Acts 27, Paul is on a ship headed toward Rome with 275 other people. And in Acts 27 verse 20, the storm is so great that all hope is lost that they would be saved. So from a human perspective, all the people that have spent their lives sailing ships, all of the Roman soldiers who were tough, strong men who have done this journey a number of times, all of the hardened criminals knew that this was the end. There was no hope. It was all lost. We're going to die. And then in verse 21, Paul says, Sirs, and then he says basically, you guys should have listened to me. I told you not to leave. I told you that we should stay. You left. Nevertheless, be of good cheer. Be merry. The ship will crash, and it will be completely destroyed, but all the people will be saved. Be of good cheer. Kind of a weird time to use that word, be happy, be merry. And then later on, we understand why. Because in verse 25, he says, be of good cheer, for I believe God, and he will keep his word. So there's Paul going through a trial, going through suffering, going through a hard circumstance, and saying that he actually has the ability to be cheerful in that circumstance. Now, I don't think that that's what James has in mind here. But I just wanted to let you know it's possible. It's possible to go through this kind of trial and still be cheerful. I think James is talking about when things are actually just going well in your life. When you have no reason to be afflicted, but you're cheerful, you're happy. During the course of our lives, we will have our ups and downs. So what do you do when things are going well? What do you do when you're not afflicted? When people are merry, when they're cheerful, they often like to hum a little tune. The whole world does this. We sing songs when we're happy. But what James is telling us to do here, it's not just to sing songs when you're happy. He's telling us that when you're happy, when things are going well, Make sure that you're praising God in those times. Because some of the most dangerous times for the Christian is not when the going gets tough, it's when the going is actually really easy. Because it's so easy to coast at that time. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and The Screwtape Letters is a book that is written from the perspective of a demon who is a, a mature, really 
accomplished demon who's teaching a, a younger demon, his nephew, how to be a good demon. Okay, So it's kind of a, a dark book when you think about it that way. But in the book, one of the things that, that he's encouraging the young demon to do is he's encouraging him to get people to coast, to see only what's in front of them, to enjoy the pleasures that are around them, and to not think thoughts of eternity, thoughts of what's beyond. Right? And that is what happens so often to us. We are so easily distracted. So maybe you go through a hard time and you get, i got to pray, I'm going to pray. And so you pray, and finally things start turning around in your life, things get easy, and that's when you forget. That is the story of Israel, isn't it? Like all of Israel's history, whenever things got easy, they forgot God. Whenever things got easy, they, they found some new idols to worship. It was only in the hard times that they actually finally, eventually, turned back to God. And so this is a huge caution for us because in North America, there are times that things are fairly easy for us. I mean, like other places in the world, it seems like they've got kind of a constant struggle going on. But there are times that we feel secure. We feel stable. We're more like Laodicea than we want to think. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, John has this message from Jesus to the church of Laodicea. He says, Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods, and I have need of nothing, and you know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says to the church, how you feel is that you're rich. How you feel is that everything is going well. That you're merry. Everything's good. And here's the truth. You're wretched, you're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, you're naked. This is what Jesus really sees. And so I'm not saying that being happy means that you're rich and poor and miserable and naked. That's, that's not what, what James is saying at all. That's not what, what is being said in Laodicea. But what is being said is that we need to be careful that when we go through those times where things are going well for us, when we're merry, that we don't forget about God, but that instead we keep praising God in those times. That we keep him at the forefront. We've got to be so careful not to start worshiping and, and, and loving the creation more than the creator because it's so easy to forget the creator when we're so focused on the creation and the good we get from it. We are easily distracted people. On Wednesday night, Brother Dan Smolders taught a lesson to our kids, and it was, it was a good wrap-up lesson for the year. And it was from the parable of the four soils, right? The four soils, the story is that a farmer goes out, and he takes the same soil, and he throws the same soil on a path that is a hard, hardened path, think about a, a road, and then he throws some soil on ground that is rocky. And so it's, it's rocky, but it's got some dirt in between it. And then he throws some soil on ground that has lots of other weeds and thorns and stuff. And so there's, there's other things growing along beside it. And then he throws the fourth group of soil onto good ground. Right? And we all know the story. Birds come and they eat the first seed and so nothing happens. And the second soil, actually, when the soil falls on the rocks, it gets into those little patches of dirt and it, it springs up really quickly because it's got what it needs. But as soon as the sun comes out, it withers away. It dies. And then the, the ground it, that's thorny, it, you see some growth, you see it starting to grow up, but eventually it just gets choked out by everything that's going on around it. 
the only seed that actually grows up to produce fruit is the good ground. And so the question was to the children, what is the difference? And what's the difference between the, the, the grounds that are there? And the answer was obedience. The fourth was the soil that was obedient to the word. When I thought of, and I was hearing him say that parable, do you know what came to my mind? That the second seed, the one that's burnt out by the sun, is the seed that's afflicted. It's going through hard times. It's struggling. And so the question is, does that seed endure, or does it get burned up? And then the third seed. It's among thorns, right? There are just so many things going on around it all the time. And eventually it's choked out. Why? Because there's just so much to distract it. So many other things going on. Growth didn't seem like a really important thing. You know what we're supposed to do when we come to church, I, I think, and what we should probably do more often in our lives? Try to actually step out of our current situation and the things that are pulling us in every direction all the time and, and say, God, teach me something for your word that I can apply to my life, that I can, I can do this week to help me get through this because I know that that the world has distractions all the time, Satan has distractions for us all the time, and my flesh is going in the wrong direction half the time. And so help me to get something to keep me on the right track glorifying you. And I think that if you're a person who is afflicted this morning, then taking his advice and praying, that can really help you. I think if you're a person who's married this morning, everything's great, everything's wonderful, Taking his advice and really trying to praise God this week. Really, really trying to glorify him, thank him. Right? We don't thank God enough. I mean, I, we can't thank God enough, but, but we really don't take the time to thank God enough. In our prayers, when you pray, what, what do you say? Lord, I need this, and I need this, and I need this. I think a lot of our prayers are just so earthly focused. What if we spent more time praying and thanking God than we did asking for him for stuff? It would change our our perspective on life. I think James is trying to teach his people, when you're sick, you have a temptation to hate God and to be angry when you're afflicted. But don't. Pray. Go to him. Things are going well. You have a temptation to drift off in your own world. Don't. Praise him. If we'll do those things this morning, by God's grace, I think we can grow, and I think that we can really be helped by this. So thank you for coming this morning. Let's pray.